Well, good evening. How is everybody? Good. Everybody felt the earthquake last night? No. No? Who's the notice? Negative. Okay. I slept through it. It woke our family up. Our, our, our lamps are shaken up against the wall. Okay. Well, that was a dud. That was my lead right there. So it's just we go. Well, if you would humor me, let's pray as we get started, and we're going to dive into the Word, and uh, I think it's going to be a good night. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we ask again, Father, that your your spirits would fall fresh upon us, this congregation, Father, those that are at home listening uh, via the internet, Father God, that you touch all of us today. Lord God, I pray that you would use me to share your word, Father, to share your truth. Father God, and I just pray for hearing ears and open eyes and believing hearts tonight. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, we're going to start off in Ephesians chapter 1, if you want to find that. While you're doing that, uh, by way of recap, so last week, we started to discuss the Holy Spirit. And we talked about one of his primary roles throughout uh, the Bible, uh, the Old Testament included, is that the Spirit of God is actually the life of God. And wherever the Spirit is, there is life, right? Uh, actually, that's a nice New Testament verse, too. It's like where the Spirit is, there's liberty, right? There's life. He's the life-giving Spirit, the breath of God. We define it that way. That God breathes out His Spirit. He speaks, and the Word comes out. And the Word is also the life-giving Spirit. And we wrapped up with this idea that the Holy Spirit now dwells inside of us. Right? The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. The, the Spirit that can bring somebody back from the dead physically now dwells inside of us. And this happens because He's made us alive spiritually. Right? So there's an impartation of this. So what we're going to do is we're actually going to explore what this looks like and what does that mean for us as believers? Like, how do we walk in the Spirit? The Bible uses these terms, right? How do we live our lives now that God inside of us has become so entwined in us, the Bible says we actually become one spirit. We explored that as well. In Corinthians where he says, look, if, if you sleep with somebody outside of marriage, if you have physical relations, you become one spirit with them. And then he says, don't you know that you're you're already joined to the Lord. That when you join your body to somebody else, you're now dragging the Lord into this relationship. That's how close we are. We're inseparable now. That God's spirit and our spirit are so wrapped up. The problem is, is why we call this like a foundational class, is how do I live my life knowing that? Because God does require something from us in order to communicate, I'm sorry, to be able to live and work with the spirit. Amen? So let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 11. It says, In him, in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that, who were, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might reach the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, this is where I really want you to start focusing. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Now last week we talked about this as well, that the Holy Spirit, where it says he's the guarantee, some of your translations will say he is the earnest. Has anyone ever bought a house here, right? So you buy a house, you have to put up what's called earnest money. It's a down payment, right? I remember I bought a house, and I told John Martin, when we pick up the keys, he's like, as soon as you put your money in earnest, brother, I was like, you mean I actually have to pay money for this? 
yes, there's a requirement. He goes, we need to know that everybody is operating in good faith here, right? You're going to put the money into this account. If you have an ESV Bible, there's a little note there at the very bottom, and it'll say, or down payment. So the Holy Spirit, he is God, but this indwelling, this seal, we're going to see, is given to us at the new birth. Now, there's three parts of this. It, first, it says that you heard the truth, you believed the gospel. Then it says you received the seal of the Spirit. Right? This is an order here. There's no, there's no hearing without the truth being preached. Amen? And then once the truth is preached, it is believed upon, which results in salvation, which results in the receiving the seal of the Holy Spirit. So this seal, another word for it is marked. God, it's like a physical mark on you. I, you're mine now, right? I have made my mark on you. Amen? I don't know if this is new. Sorry, I keep looking at Ronnie over there. He's like, why do you keep looking at me? I don't know. <laughs> it just happens to be where my head wants to turn to look at, so I'm not calling you up, brother. But we're sealed and we're marked by the Holy Spirit. Go to Ephesians 4.30. Ephesians 4.30. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So think of the indwelling spirit like this, that God now has marked you as his property. He's given you a down payment of himself inside of you, but he sealed you for himself. Amen? Good stuff. So the spirit of life now has permanently marked you. The marking of, and the, or the sealing of the Holy Spirit, this happens at the new birth. Remember, you hear, you believe, you receive the marking of the spirit. Right? This all happens together. It's beautiful. It's a working of a lot of different things coming together. Go back to Ephesians chapter 1. And let's hone in on, that, on verse 13. 113. It says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, that's when you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So if you're wondering, if you're a Christian now, have I been sealed or marked with the Holy Spirit? The answer is yes. You have. He's in you right now. You've been marked. You're set apart for him. You have no control over this event. This happens. You didn't ask for it. You may not have known this happened. But the moment you believed, you made that confession unto salvation, the Bible says God has marked you as his own property. You never need to be marked again. Right? It doesn't matter. You sin, you miss it, you walk away from the church for five years, you come back, you repent. Do you need to be remarked with the Holy Spirit? No. This is a one-time event. He, he's your, you're his you know, it's, it's the relationship is committed. You, you become a new creation in Christ Jesus. I go to 2 Timothy 2.19. We're going to burn through a lot of scriptures, and I apologize if we'll move quickly here. 2 Timothy 2.19. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from the name of you. It says there that the Lord knows who are his. You know how he knows? You've been marked. You will not get lost in the shuffle, friends. This is a great comfort that the Lord knows those who are his. Have you ever wondered, like, how does God keep track of all these things that are happening? This is the work of his spirit, marking and identifying you as his. Revelation talks about the angels gathering up God's elect from the four corners of the earth where he pulls them up. It's like, well, how do they know who's saved? 
Because that beacon, that mark inside of you is going to shine very, very bright. Amen? Can't be missed. It's a good comfort. So, is the seal of the Holy Spirit in response to the good things you have done or the good things that you will do in the future? So does God look at the end of time and say, okay, let me, let me mark this person because of who you are? Hopefully, at Pillar Church, you would all answer no. Right? This has nothing to do with you. Like I said, this is outside of your control. This is the gift of God. The receiving of the Spirit is based upon faith alone in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? The, these two things are inseparable. Right? It's faith alone. Receiving the Spirit is through faith alone. Go to John 3.16. We're going to read a couple things that Jesus talks about here. John 3, 1 through 6. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things, can do these signs that you do, unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So if you know anything about the Pharisees, these were what we would call the doctors of the law. Like These are the guys with the PhDs, always the smartest guys in the room when it, when it concerns the things of God. These were the, the people that were leading Israel. They knew God's word inside and out. He comes and he compliments Jesus. He's like, Rabbi, he, you notice he came to him at night, right? Like, I don't know if you, you know the story very well, but right before this, Jesus cleanses the temple. Right? He just got done going into the temple, flipping tables over, making a whip, driving everybody out. And then, you know, the next day, this guy sneaks to him at night. Jesus, hey. Only if God was with you, right? He doesn't want to be called out by his people, right? So he comes to him. Did Jesus respond to him? You notice what he says, right? He compliments Jesus. Does Jesus say, oh, thanks, man. Thanks, brother. I really appreciate that. I'm glad somebody finally acknowledges that I'm God. He looks at him and says, you can't enter the kingdom unless you're born again. You've got to be born again. I mean, that's a weird answer. Have you ever thought about that? Like, I, what are you talking about? And so he sarcastically answers back, right? Again, this is a PhD level guy. This is not a guy that's misunderstanding Jesus. He's like, what? Kind of scoffing, right? <laughs> Should I go back into my mother's and how this is going to play out, Jesus? He says, truly I tell you, what does this have to do with the Spirit of God and us? Is if somebody that is that schooled in God's Word and that is that adherent to his his law, this man also has to be born again. He's got a fundamental problem. He doesn't have the correct spirit inside of him. Right? So there's no amount of you reading the Bible, doing good works. Your righteousness will never exceed Nicodemus's, apart from Jesus. Right? There's nothing you can do that would please him in your religious works. So if Jesus told him, you must be born again, we're outside of this as well. Go over to Matthew 21. This is another event that happens right after uh, the temple cleansing. Matthew 21, 28. This is a parable. This will not be a parable because this is very thinly veiled. Some parables of Jesus you have to meditate on, you have to think about. You don't have to think about this one. 
Jesus is, is basically going to punch somebody right now. He says, what do you think? A man has two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But Sounds like uh, my son Chase. But afterwards, he changed his mind, and he went. And he went to the other son and said to him, and he said the same, and he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the Father? They said the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, again, he's talking to the Pharisees, I say to you that tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Can you imagine this? He's telling the Pharisees right here, man, there's, there are prostitutes and, and pimps that are getting into the kingdom of God before you with your religion. Why is that? Because they just respond in faith, right? They reject it, and they, they, they turn their mind, they change their mind, and they go, right? They did what he said. So, where does that lead us at? You can't hurt this. I'm really just trying to drive this point home. If a doctor of the law who is that adherent to God's word can't get into the kingdom, but a prostitute can, who is a stranger to these things, and they enter into a problem, but the Pharisees are, it's a stumbling block. Does that make sense what's happening here? Right? And it's all because of the Spirit. Jesus said, you have to be born again, man. You need the Spirit. You're not going to get into this kingdom without this mark, without this seal. Amen? Go to Romans 8 9. Romans 8 9. It says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. If you have a highlighter, underline this next part. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. This is what is required of you, is the spirit. This is how God knows who's his and who's not. If you do not have the spirit of Christ, you do not belong to him. Now, when Jesus says, hey, at the end, at the very end, there'll be people outside the gate, and they're crying, Jesus, did we not do this in your name? Didn't we feed people in your name? Didn't we, didn't we do this in your name? And Jesus says, I never knew you. There's so many people that think they're doing the work for God, but they've really, truly never been born again. They've never received that bond. Amen? So, I don't know how much I can handle this home. It's not about what you do, what you will do. It's this moment where you hear, you believe, and you receive. So, if we get marked by the Spirit, and the Spirit lives in us, the question to you is, why do our lives not reflect this? Why do we continue to sin? Why does it seem like some people have an easier path than other people? Right? Have you ever thought that? Like super Christians? Like, boy, this person got saved, and it just seems like everything fell into place. And then, I, at least with my life, I got saved, and then it seemed like nothing changed. It took a lot of work to institute the change in me. Have you ever wondered that? But the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, this all-powerful spirit who can do all these things, dwells inside of you. Why does your life look like it did before you got saved? Well, I said we cannot control receiving the mark of the spirit. This is the gift of God. This is grace, right? This is that salvation. But there is something you can control. We can control how much influence the spirit of God has in our life. Again, I think this is an important point. The one thing we can control is how much influence the Spirit of God gets in our life. Don't turn there. I'm going to read you two scriptures. Uh, they're short. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, Do not quench the Spirit. We get a command to not quench the Spirit. 
Ephesians 4.30 says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Our actions, our behaviors, our words has an effect upon our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And based upon that, that relationship, at least in my life, I can testify to you is this is what victory in the Christian life looks like. Quenching the Spirit, grieving the Spirit, is you're going to lead a dry, fruitless life where you're not going to see much change in your life. You've, you've quenched, you've put out the one person who can help you. I can't help you. Your spouse can't help you. God alone can help you in this journey. Amen? And this is God's design, is that through the Spirit, we're going to, what the Bible says, we start putting to death our flesh. We start putting to death our body. It's through His Spirit. But it's not an automatic thing. We have a part to play. And He wants to influence our lives. And he wants to help you. He wants to, what we would call sanctification. It's the, the process of being made more and more like Jesus. Why do some do it and some don't? I personally believe it's yielding to the Spirit of God. Understanding that. So, what we're going to explore here in the next you know, 15 minutes or so is how do, how do we begin to do this? How do we do this right? How do we cooperate with the Holy Spirit? Go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. This is after the fruit of the Spirit, which we're not going to talk about. You're like, you're like, oh man, this guy's going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. No, I'm not. We're going to mention it, though. At the very end, he says, if we live by the Spirit, stop there. That's God's job, right? We've been made alive by the Spirit. Again, not through our works, but because of Him, right? If we live by the Spirit, comma, it says, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That's our responsibility. I love this verse because we have two parts. We live by the Spirit. That's God's doing. Number two, our responsibility, let's keep in step with the Spirit, or let's walk in the Spirit. Can you see that? So we have God's awesome awesome grace. Now we have a responsibility to keep in step with the Spirit. Go, stay in Galatians 5, go to verse 16. It says, But I say, walk in the Spirit. That's the same thing as keeping in step with the Spirit, right? Walking with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. So what happens now in the Christian's life is you have what we would call the flesh. This is the body we're in. This is our, our nature. Our, the Bible calls it our carnal nature. Right? It's our old man. There's a million names for it. Sinful. Now God's spirit is in there wrapped in ours. And he is driving us to do the things that please God. But we have this thing called the old man that wants to do what we want to do. And they're opposed to each other. They're constantly fighting each other. Right? And it says, if you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the desires of what your flesh wants. Okay, geez, thanks, Paul. Oh, you know, is that it? It's like, well, how do you know? what I want to get to is how do we work this out, okay? Because we understand this by principle. Hey, if I don't do what the flesh wants, I'm going to please God, right? It's easier said than done, but luckily the Scripture teaches us how to do it. So, controlling your life begins with learning how to walk in the Spirit. Again, controlling your life begin, you know, begins with learning how to walk in the Spirit. If you are a Christian right now and you have no spiritual discipline, your flesh is out of control, you are ruled by your desires, your sinful appetites, all these things. This is for you. This, like I said, this is foundational right here. 
learning to walk in the Spirit. So how do we begin the process? Go to Romans 8. Romans 8. Verse 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be filled in us. Okay, pay attention to the next part, underline this, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Verse 5 is the kicker. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Verse 6, for, the, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Okay, so it says here in verse 5, For those who live in the flesh set their mind on the flesh, and those in the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. It's going to be this easy. How do you walk in the Spirit? How do you start? Is thinking about what you're thinking about. Starting to put your mind on the things of God versus the things of the flesh. Right? Because to be Bible, to think on the flesh of the King James, right? to be carnally minded is death. To think about these things. You have to ask yourself, what am I thinking about? What am I meditating on? This is the, this is the, the start of this journey of lining yourself up with the Spirit. Go to Ephesians 4.22. Ephesians 4.22 and 23. It says, put off the old self, and that's the flesh, another word for it, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And it says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. The way to deal with the flesh is to start with the mind. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So now you're like, okay, so how do I renew the mind? So if we want to get out of the flesh and into the spirit, again, if you're saved, you already have the spirit. So what the focus is, is how do I walk with him? The first, to renew your mind, is to study the Word of God. Right? You need to read your Bible. This is His Word for us. Right? This is this is what He's given humanity for thousands of years to know Him, to understand His will, to have a relationship with Him. It is His Word. If you are not actively reading the Word, you're cheating only you. It's for you. Amen? It's not just for pastors, elders, Bible nerds, Bible thumpers, you name it. It's for you. In the beginning, I, I said, hey, the Pharisees who knew the word inside and out, you know, don't enter the kingdom. The prostitutes do because of faith. When you've entered the kingdom by faith, you've been marked with the Spirit, now it's time to pick up the word. Right? It's time to understand this. You can meditate on it. You can memorize it. In my own personal testimony, the greatest thing that ever happened to me was memorizing the word. When I got saved, the guys that mentored me uh, when I was in the Air Force in the 90s, 
just made me memorize scripture. They didn't let it get away from me. They quizzed every time I say, hey, what do you memorize? And it got so bad, they would hassle me so much, I finally just decided to memorize it to get them off my back. Right? Because there's only one way to get a zealot off your back, is to do what they say. Next thing you know, I've memorized the scripture, like large chunks of it. Because I'm reading it. Like, you can't help but memorize these things. Have you ever watched a movie, and then you leave the movie, and you can quote all the funny lines? Then you read the Bible, and you're like, what did I just read? I mean, you're going to have resistance, friends. The flesh, remember the Bible says the flesh and the spirit, they oppose each other. This happens for a reason. There's a reason why you can watch a stupid movie like Joe Dirt. Who's seen Joe Dirt? Right? No? Trace has never seen it? Trace and I could probably play out that entire movie right now. We could probably get at least 85% of it. That's craziness. Because the flesh doesn't resist that. The old man doesn't care, right? You read the Bible, something inside you starts kicking and screaming. Even though you're saved, right? The old man does not want to submit to this. So memorize the word, friends. Even start small. Just start small. Just find a scripture that means something to you. How I do it is I write it on the postcard. I use it as a bookmark. Put it on the mirror. Put it in your car. Put it somewhere where you're going to read it. Memorize it. Think about it. Think about your friends and the people that influence you in your relationships. So as you're learning to walk in the Spirit, these are also the people that will get you to think of the things of the Spirit and the things of the flesh. The people you hang out with, do they talk about the Word or do they talk about carnal things? Now that's not to say these things are bad. I also enjoy talking about movies. I'm not Mr. Holier than now. Like I, I have a life. I love playing guitar. And I, I like going to concerts. I like movies. Uh, I read a lot of secular books. I love reading just in general. I love talking about these things. But Really, truthfully, the one thing that's always on my mind is the Word of God. And I love talking about that more than anything else. And I'm not saying that to brag, but it's a, I've conditioned myself to be like that. And I don't do it because I have to. I realize just like learning to like something is the more I do it, the more I desire it. Right? It's just like the things of the flesh. If you remember being young and you start dabbling in sin, it tastes good, right? And so you do some more. You do some more. You do some more. Next thing you know, you're like, how did I get so far away? Like, it started off like this. The same is with the Word of God. You start off small, you're like, oh, I can only read five minutes at a time. Fine, do it. Right? Because that five minutes will eventually turn into this thing where you can, you know, sit there and talk about the Word for five hours. And then be like, boy, I wish I had more time. Amen? So think about your friends and your relationships. If you are struggling hard with sin, and you're not walking, walking in the Spirit, I implore you to look at your, your inner circle. Who's around you? Who's encouraging you? Who's challenging you? Who's calling you out when you're in sin, right? We need the support. So the renewed mind that keeps in step with the Spirit will begin to win the battle of the flesh and produce fruit. Go back and read. We're not going to do it now, but read Galatians 5 because it talks about all the things the flesh wants to produce versus the fruit the Spirit wants to produce. The renewed mind that keeps in step with the Spirit, listen, you're going to start winning the battle. You lose because you're feeding the flesh and not the spirit. First Thessalonians 5.19 again says, Do not quench the spirit. Ephesians 4.30, Do not grieve the spirit. So I want to close with this. What grieves and quenches the spirit? What are the, some things that we need to look out for? Because the second half is learning to walk in the spirit. The second half is learning how not to put out that Holy Spirit fire. Because the Holy Spirit is sensitive. Your actions do personally 
like ruin your relationship with the Spirit of God. They can't. I'm going to walk through this. So number one is easy as sin. The Spirit is grieved and quenched when you sin. Now you're like, well, I thought the Spirit is there to help me through that. That's exactly right. So how do we deal with this? Is be quick to repent. If you miss it, and the Holy, the Holy Spirit is the one that shows you that you've sinned. Right? He's the one turning in you, hey, this was wrong. You should stop what you're doing right there and repent. Right? Be quick to repent. Uh, it was probably two weeks ago. We, we were having some conversations with some people. And I don't I didn't feel like I had done anything wrong. But the Holy Spirit side was burning. And I and I came home, I told my wife, it's like, I don't know what I did, but I've done something wrong. She's like, Well, how does that work? I'm like, I feel the Spirit of God inside me grieving. Like I have done something. And that, I had to stop. I had to search myself. I had to start praying and repenting. So sometimes you don't even know what you did, but the Spirit is there. Has anyone ever felt that? I feel I feel uh, convinced of something is wrong, but you don't know what you did. You feel that heaviness. Friends, that is the Spirit of God. Stop what you're doing. Start praying. Okay, have I hurt somebody? Have I, have I grieved you, Holy Spirit? Don't let that go unchecked. Right? Please. Grieving Him you start moving backwards. In Christianity, there's no idol. You're going backwards or you're going forwards. Reading them will send you backwards. So to deal with a sin problem is repent quickly. Number two is unforgiveness in your life. Colossians 3.13, I like how the Living Bible says it. It says, be gentle and ready to forgive. Never hold grudges. Remember that the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Be quick to forgive, friends, even if it still hurts. Listen. Your, your life literally does depend on it. The Bible says, if you don't forgive those, I'm not going to forgive you, is what God says. Be quick to forgive. When you hold a grudge, no matter how small, this is hampering your relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's what's called quenching. That's putting the fire out. He's burning right inside you. He's, he's trying to bring you into the image of Jesus Christ, and then you go and throw water and sand on him by not forgiving people. It's the ultimate hypocrisy. Not forgiving somebody. The whole reason the Holy Spirit's even in us is because God forgives us for no reason other than the fact that he bore the brunt of our punishments. So unforgiveness is probably the biggest stumbling block. I've known a lot of Christians that hold grudges from years and years and years ago. There are Christians that were hurt when they were younger, and years later they're still wrestling through that. It's grieving the Spirit, my friends. The best thing I've ever heard. One of my favorite quotes. It's not in the Bible. It says, forgiving somebody doesn't make what they did right. It sets you free. When you forgive someone, it's not justifying what they did to you. You're not saying, hey, it's okay that you did this to me. You're simply saying, I forgive you. Right? Don't think that you're like, you know, you are parking them on your account. But it doesn't justify what they did. It doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt. Right? But our Christian response is always forgiveness. Number three, you can quench the, the spirit through your human relationships. If you even peruse the Bible, a big thing on God's list is how we treat each other. How you treat your fellow man, whether saved or unsaved, definitely uh, will hamper your relationship with the Holy Spirit. God says, you know, we're to actually treat all people the same. We love people, right? We, we know we've passed from life to death because we have love for the brethren, right? And if you just keep reading the Bible, it even talks about people that aren't saved. We, we love them too. We pray for those who persecute us, right? 
We really do these things. And we preach it, but let me ask you, when's the last time you really prayed for people you don't like? I'm not saying a cold prayer. Oh, God, help them. That's hypocrisy. When's the last time you went into your room, you shut the door, and you got on your knees, and you interceded for them like their life depends on it? That's the Holy Spirit, my friends. We give God lip service when we say we do these things, and we preach these things, and, and we act like we've got it all together. And you won't do the basics of Christianity. Pray for those who persecute you. Love those. Turn the other cheek. There's so much hate in this world right now, right? If we, if, I'm not going to mention candidates or politics. You know how much hate revol- is revolved around that? You can't say anything on either side without somebody losing their money. Father says to pray for those in charge. When is the last time you got on your knees and really prayed for the president? Whether there's an R or a D behind his name. Right? Because we're hypocrites. You pray for one, but you won't pray for the other. You grieve the Holy Spirit. Right? He's, he's God of all. Right? He's, he's the Lord of us. God as well. He's the creator of all humanity. Amen? I'm really counting down home. How do you treat your spouse, gentlemen? How do you talk to your wife? Do you treat her like Christ loves the church? Do you honor her, cherish her? Do you prefer her before yourself? Do you grieve in the spirit? God cares what's happening in your home. God cares about how you speak to your children, how you discipline your child, how you speak in front of that child. God cares about how you act in front of your co-workers. He cares about how you perform on the job when you're lazy and you're cutting corners and you don't put forth the effort. You know the Bible talks about that? That God cares about these things? We come to church and we sing and we raise our hands and the entire time we grieve him through our actions of our everyday life. We show no regard for the fact that the creator of the universe dwells inside of us and he sees all these things. And we wonder why we're not making progress in our Christianity. The problem is we get saved and no one tells us that God cares. We hear so much that he forgives us. And this is true. But he cares about how we behave after that. Salvation is not a license to sin where God winks at every stupid thing we do. He will forgive us time and time again. Seven times in a day. Seventy times a day. He'll forgive us. But he expects us to make an effort. He expects us to read the word and to figure out How do we get from A to B? The problem is, is we've left out the Holy Spirit because we can't do it on our own. Have you ever tried not to sin? It doesn't work. But I'm telling you, if you would pay attention to these things, the Holy Spirit now starts to produce fruit in your life, and it gets easier and easier and easier. And the things that would kick your butt 10 years ago, you'll look back and say, I'm not the same person. It's not because of you. It's because you've received the Holy Spirit who cries out on your behalf, uttering words that man can't even express to the Father. Amen? The last thing that will quench the Spirit in grieving is pride. There's a lot more, but this is my last one. Is pride. Pride is a killer in life. The Pharisees, you know what their big hang-up was from receiving the Word of God? Pride. Do you remember when God healed the blind man? And uh, Jesus healed the blind man. And, you know, they were like, who sinned? Who's this guy? And the Pharisees came and asked them all these questions. They ended up kicking them out, right? Saying, hey, you, you were born in sin. We're Pharisees. Like, how dare you, right? And you remember that whole scenario? I, I don't want to play it out for you, but this, this ultimate spiritual pride. Man, it just blocks and keeps people from God. 
is your knowledge of the word, your denomination, your background, your training, that doesn't impress God. That pride that you have when you, you think you're sharing the gospel but you're not sharing it in love, it's just it's, it's a roadblock, my friend. Are you have you gone to a you know a tier one school, a college where you have something to really be proud of? Hey, I did this, I did this in my life, I did this. And you use that as your as your, your door opener. And you're so proud of that when you put it in people's faces. Friends, these things grieve the spirit. Religious pride to me is, is I mentioned it, but I, I want to hammer that home. That doesn't do anything. Pride in our accomplishments, pride in your background, pride in these things. There's a healthy pride, but in most of our human lives is a very unhealthy problem. This is something I think all of us would admit we have it. I have it. I have to put it under all the time. I mean, we all have a very inflated estimate of ourselves. Am I wrong? Because if you ask me, I'm pretty cool. I think I'm pretty talented. The one thing I don't have going for me is this male pattern baldness thing. And it just, I can't shave. There's still no solution for this thing, right? I said, other than that, I think I got it going on. But when I really stop and evaluate myself against the word, I'm like, man, what a wretch. Right? If I look at my actions, if, if the Holy Spirit really knows me. And he knows my insecurities. He knows his problems. And it's a front. And I hide behind these accomplishments. And I hide behind X, Y, and Z. And I make myself out to be something. But that's not the real me. Because the Lord knows who I am. He sees me. He sees, the Bible says he sees me naked and open before him. And he's not impressed. And when I put up this prideful front... It keeps me from having deep relationships. It quenches the spirit and it ruins my human relationships. Amen? It's time to go. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, would you, in the coming days, weeks, and months, would you continue to show us how to walk in the spirit, how not to grieve you? Lord, I've only mentioned just a few things. There's so many things the Bible, your word says. Holy Spirit, would you apply this in a personal way to your people? Reveal to them where we need to clean, where they need to clean up their act. Reveal to me where I need to continue to clean up my act. You know I do. Lord, help us. We need you, Holy Spirit, now more than ever, to walk in the light as you were in the light, to walk in the Spirit, to please you. You said if we're in the flesh, we can't please you. You said without our faith, it is impossible to please you. So by faith right now, Holy Spirit, we ask you, please, please help us. Please burn bright within us and cause us to hear your sweet voice. We love you and we thank you. Jesus' name. Amen.